335 in your hymnal, if you'd like to read from that red hymnal in front of you. Let's sing. Yeah. 
So glad to have you here today. Turn around and greet your neighbor if you would. Let them know you're glad to see him in worship. from Kids Street as well. Good morning. How are you guys? Good? You have a good week at school? How do you guys wake up for school? Do you wake up on your own and get ready all by yourself? Does somebody come in and wake you up sometimes? Yeah. Do you have one of these things? You ever hear a sound like this in your parents' room? What do you usually do when you hear that sound? You wake up? Does anybody ever roll over, hit the alarm, go back to sleep? Then the alarm goes off again. You do? You, you would? <laughs> you turn it off and then you go right back to sleep, right? Yeah. There's a scripture um, Pastor Kevin's going to be uh, preaching on waking up our faith. Uh, this is from Romans. Pastor Kevin's going to be preaching out of Revelations. It says, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. 
in Revelations, Jesus says, wake up, because if you're not alert, you might not see me coming. So if we sleep and we sleep through our alarm and we go back to sleep, we might miss out on something, right? You might miss the bus, right? Or you might be late for school. Or there might be something fun like, uh, you know, a friend's birthday party or a get-together with grandma, right? You don't want to sleep through it, right? So God said, there's something good coming. Um, you guys remember the Super Bowl last year? Remember all those playoff games that the Chiefs played? And they played kind of bad in the first quarter, maybe the first half. They were kind of just sleepwalking through the game. And then they got down... They were down a whole bunch of points, and then the team woke up. Then they started playing really good, and they ended up winning all the games, right? So God says, hey, it's time to wake up now. Don't wait. I might sneak up on you. Wake up your faith, okay? So I've got something over there that you can wear. If you remember Vacation Bible School from a few years ago, we used to wear these. It says, watch for God, okay? So it's to help us just remember Sometimes when I was a kid, I'd wear a rubber band and I'd go like this. And that'd kind of wake me up, right? Just kind of snap it on my wrist. It would help me remember something. Sometimes I'd look at my wrist and go, oh, yeah, I remember. I've got homework tomorrow. Yeah, I better do my spelling homework, right? Look at my wrist. So we can watch for God, right? Keep our faith alive, okay? So why don't you pray with me and we'll stay alert and look for God in our lives. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for your presence in our lives, for uh, the people that love us, for our teachers, our classmates, our family members, our church family. We, uh, we ask that you give us eyes to see you working. Help us to keep our faith awake and alive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to stand and sing and praise God together. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and
Father, be with us here today as we gather in your name. Help us to open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts, that we might be awoke to your teachings and your needs and your will. We ask that you look over all these tithes and offerings, bless them today, that we may use them in a way that suits your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Thank you, Nate. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Still in our series, Letters from the Seven Churches, or to the Seven Churches. Revelation chapter 3. On screen, you can see we're talking about the church at Sardis. And they needed to be reminded that it was all about the gospel. Revelation chapter 3. If you're like me, it's amazing how relevant these letters are. Written 2,000 years ago. Letters to specific churches, but applicable to us all. Revelation chapter 3. As always, we pray. We pray for God's guidance today. Just because we need it. There's no special reason. We have a lot of special things going on now. But we always need God's guidance, don't we? We pray for wisdom. We pray for understanding. We pray for patience. We pray for self-control. The ability to express ourselves with wisdom and grace. It's one thing to shoot your mouth off. It's another thing to say it well in a way that gets it heard. You know, we can all be offensive, whether it's face-to-face or on Facebook. It's easy to be offensive and obnoxious and insulting. Not so easy to express your perspective with grace and Christian wisdom. So we pray for that ability. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated. I'll close, and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we thank you this morning again for your presence, for the ability to gather in your name, to know that you are with us, to know that when we read your word that you speak to us. We thank you, Father, for your word which challenges us, changes us, and comforts and guides us. We thank you for the hope that you give us, the hope that in this life you are with us, And in the life to come, you care for us. We face death, not as people without hope, but as those with hope. Thank you. Lord, this morning we thank you for this good life, for this great nation, for the freedoms and privileges we enjoy, for the bounty before us. We eat, we sleep in comfort, we are safe. We have a stable government. Father, we are blessed more than almost everyone in human history. We thank you, Father. We recognize that the good things in this life are gifts from you, the gift of the ability to work, to earn a good living, the gift to learn. Thank you, Father. As always, Lord, we come before you knowing that some in our midst struggle We all have friends, some are in this congregation, some not, but they struggle against principalities and powers. They struggle against the things in this life that would destroy them. We pray for healing for those that are sick, for those that struggle against illnesses and injuries. We pray, Father, 
for those in our nation who have lost loved ones. Give them comfort and peace. We pray for those who battle the pandemic, the first responders, the soldiers, paramedics. We pray for their health and safety and protection. We pray for our people who struggle against this illness. Heal them, Father. Lord, we pray for our leaders as always. Give them wisdom and discernment, self-control. We pray, Father, that those in power would be given the ability to make decisions that would benefit us all, that would look beyond partisan difficulties and point scoring and all those things. Help us, Father, as a nation to stand together. We are divided in so many ways. It seems as if there is no middle ground on any issue. Forgive us, Father, for allowing ourselves to be manipulated. Forgive us for not asking hard questions. Forgive us for not seeking truth. Forgive us for following the easy answers. Lord, help us. In so many ways we fail you, we ask for mercy and forgiveness. We ask for your patience, for the cleansing that only you can give. Father, be with us now. Open our hearts to your word, our hearts to your spirit. We pray that you would work with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We say, trust science. But you know, sometimes I don't like the science that I hear. <laughs> I came across an article in uh, Smithsonian Magazine, no, it was Scientific American just a few months ago, and it was just exactly what I wanted to hear. You will not believe this. You know, you always want to find out that scientists are telling you you're doing the right thing. And I did. So I found this group of researchers, and it was a huge article in this issue of the magazine and was dealing with obesity in America and in the world and of course you know we're fat right I mean some of us are mildly overweight some of us are obese some of us are bigger etc etc and we want to be told that it's okay I have a scrawny doctor he's a Ironman triathlete so you know what he looks like he's six foot tall he's about my size minus a hundred pounds and he's obnoxious as he can be for all those reasons a nice guy and he always has this conversation, Kevin, you're obese. You've you got to get past this. And he tells me all the reasons and all the problems, etc., etc. And I, like so many of you, and I can tell, you say, thank you, doctor, and then I go get a hamburger on the way home. So anyway, in this article I was reading, there were some researchers, sociological scientists, psychologists, and some other health researchers, and they had discovered this dirty little secret. Now get this. The science that they propose has proven that what you weigh doesn't matter as long as you're fit. I thought, yeah, I want to hear that. And all through the article, they were talking about the benefits of not worrying about your weight as long as you're active, as long as you get up and walk to the kitchen every day instead of having your spouse bring you food and all those kinds of things. As long as you're active and fit, it's all right if you're 30 or 50 or even 100 pounds overweight. And they said that there's no such thing as a good weight. As long as you're fit, you can weigh whatever you want. I said, yeah, baby. Where's the french fries? It's exactly what I wanted to hear. French fries, dip them in chocolate ice cream, uh-huh, every day. I found the article. I found the science. 
that I liked. So I went to my scrawny doctor, and he's a great guy, really is. And I told him about this article, and he exploded on me, literally. What? And he said, oh my gosh, and he quoted study after study, proving me wrong. And of course, I wasn't really arguing. I just knew this would light him up, and it did. And he, he told me over and over, he goes, I don't know who those people are. I've read those studies. He goes, it is nonsense. And he told me the traditional scientific approach, if you're overweight, blood gases are wrong, blood lipids are wrong, it's hard on your body, it's hard on your heart, etc., etc., etc. Now, that's the truth, but I don't want to hear the truth. I wanted to hear the science in that article that said I could eat all I wanted as long as I was active and fit. My doctor said, you can't be active and fit and be 100 pounds overweight, Kevin, get over it. Not going to happen. So I went home, skipped my hamburger that day anyway. We choose the science that we want to hear, sometimes because it benefits us, sometimes because it helps us to fit in, sometimes it helps us to make peace with other people who disagree. And we all do it. Even in the church, sometimes churches change what they believe so they can fit. Maybe not with science, but with what is current in the culture. Now the church today in Sardis was one of those churches. Good, solid church, good people, and yet they had lost sight of what being a church was all about. Even though they were doing so many good things, they had allowed culture to change them. They had allowed their desires to change their Christian belief and practice. Follow along with me, if you would, in Revelation chapter 3. I'll read the first six verses. The church at Sardis. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A little bit of information about Sardis. This was where the wealthy people lived. You know, some of the other chur churches we've talked about were located in good, strong cities. Sardis was a little bit smaller, about 60 or 70,000 people as far as we can tell little far from the coast, 40 or 50 miles inward at the time, and they were located on a river that was literally filled with gold. And so there had been gold mining there for decades, as far as we can tell, and it was a wildly wealthy process there. And there were people who were kazillionaires, technical term, kazillionaires in those days, because they had so much gold, and they were thrilled to be there. It was a religious center. I talked about the different gods and the different emperor worships, and they had been, they had a, an, an empire-wide contest for and a temple to the emperor at the time, and they were second. Now, they didn't win, but they were second, which shows among the empire, they were known as a very religious, very wealthy city. The gods had blessed them. Interestingly enough, the largest 
synagogue on the planet was located in Sardis at that time. The largest synagogue on the planet. Strong Jewish population at this time. The synagogue seated a thousand people. And in those old days, a room that seated a thousand people, about this size, maybe a little bit larger, big place. They'd been working on the synagogue for three centuries. A lot of money invested. The Jewish people there were strong, hardcore Jewish people. The church, well, they were wannabes. And you know what I mean by that. They were in this town and in this region. And there were wealthy people in all these different religious faiths and temples and tabernacles and synagogues and all those things. And then there was the church. And the church was coming on. And the church was growing and they were attracting the wealthy. Now we know this because interestingly enough, the Romans kept records of everything. And we found city records. I say we researchers and archaeologists have found written records of the people that were in high places in government. And many of them were members of a church who followed a guy named Christus. They were Christians. So the Christians in that era were making inroads to the upper crust, which meant they were wealthy, they were powerful, and they were in the group of leadership. So this is a great place to live, really, and it was the very place that the church needed to be. Remember, the goal of the church was to spread the message of Jesus, that people needed Jesus, that people are separated from God by their sin, and the only way to take care of that is by following Jesus as Savior, by receiving the inner cleansing, and committing their life to him. That was the church's job. They should have been doing great. There were all kinds of people there to listen. And yet Jesus said, you are failing. Look at that passage again. Chapter 3, verse two, verse 1. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. So here's a problem how can a church be dead and known for their good deeds like I said in this area they were coming on and everybody knew that that church those people that claim Jesus they're good people and they did lots of good things and a lot of the finest people in the community were in that church and they talked about Jesus and talked about their pastor they talked about their music team and their praise team was wonderful and they had comfortable chairs etc etc and all the things that make up a good church were going on and everybody knew that the church was doing good and that Jesus said you guys are dead there's another time that God spoke to his people and proclaimed them dead Remember the creation story? Adam and Eve. Do anything you want, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you do that, you shall what? You shall surely die. And then they ate the apple, didn't they? It wasn't an apple, but they ate the fruit of that tree. Now, they didn't die physically. We know that. So what were they talking about? God was talking about spiritually, you will die. I will cast you away from me. You will be separated from God. Remember, in the New Testament perspective and in the Old Testament, death was separation from God. They didn't worry about physical death too much. Death was separation from God. In the creation account, the garden symbolized life with God. Being cast out of the garden was the understanding that you were separated from God. So keep that in mind. So fast forward, when Jesus talked to the city and the church at Sardis, when he said, you are dead, he was saying, you are separated from me. Now, Jesus doesn't explain himself here, nor does John. But on screen are a couple of things we can 
think of and consider knowing other biblical teachings and understand maybe a little of what Jesus was talking about when he said to this active, vibrant church, you are dead. First of all, and this is just what we think, me and all my scholar friends that I've never met before, you know, probably what had happened was they were getting away from the gospel. Now remember the gospel message. People need Jesus to be saved. It's really very simple. You are separated from the God who loves you and created you. Your sin separates you from God. And the only way to end that separation from God is by following Jesus as Savior. By acknowledging your sin, by asking Jesus to save you and allowing the cleansing to come from within, and committing your life to following Christ as Savior. And that is the only way of salvation. And that was the message that the church was supposed to take. But I think, in Sardis, they were surrounded by wealthy people who didn't want to hear this message of Jesus. Some were Jews. Jews, for the most part, considered Jesus maybe a prophet, but he surely wasn't Messiah. And they surely didn't believe that you had to get saved by Jesus to go to heaven when you die. Nonsense from their perspective. So there was the risk there of this very large, very powerful Jewish synagogue being against you. Emperor worship, which was big in that city, also had their ideas. Didn't worry about salvation. Trust the emperor. He would take care of you. And so on and so forth. So here was a church given the message of salvation in Jesus, surrounded by people who didn't want to hear it. And what did they do? My hunch is that they caved. They got soft. They preached a message. Jesus loves you. And all you got to do is love Jesus and you'll be saved. Which sounds good. And they got away from this whole, you got to follow Jesus and only Jesus thing. And all those other religions aren't legitimate and they don't save you. And everybody needs Jesus. You know, those hard truths of the gospel were offensive to so many in Sardis. I think what happened was the Christians there just stopped. They still talked about Jesus, of course. The little baby Jesus. God came to love you. God came to make you happy. God wants to bless you through Jesus. You see, you can say a lot of things about Jesus, and it all be true, and leave out the hard parts. Remember, Paul said that the stumbling block of Christianity was this whole crucifixion and resurrection thing, because that's the messy part of following Jesus, that Jesus had to die on the cross to pay for our sins, that God raised Jesus from the dead to give us life eternal. You see, those are hard truths, and people... Get stuck on those. Well, I don't believe God could raise people from the dead. And I don't think Jesus' death on a cross can do anything for me. And on and on it goes. And who's Jesus anyway? So I think they caved. And from the words in this passage, I think not only had the adults been soft-shoeing the gospel for so long, I think a lot of them were in the church and maybe had never even heard that part of the gospel. You know, at first, they made a conscious decision. Well, let's just not talk about that too much. And as a pastor, believe me, I understand pressures. When, about, when you consider things that might be offensive to people in the congregation or to people in the community. And I understand the temptation to, to just be really soft on some issues. And I can see even good guys doing that. Doesn't mean a trite, but I can see that happening. In the church, it had been going on so long that probably there were adults in the church, lots of kids who followed Jesus but had never heard about the crucifixion for sins 
and never heard about the resurrection. Remember, Jesus himself said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's all you got to do. Of course, that's not what he meant, is it? Love God. Be absolutely devoted to God and follow him in faith. Love others. Sacrifice yourself in service to others. But they caved. One of the other things they did, and we think this, they developed a service that was faithless. And what that means is, it's a faith that really wasn't based on their faith in Jesus. Now think about this. Is it possible for good people to do good things without a religious motivation? Of course it is. Good people do things without faith in Jesus every day, don't they? What was happening was in the church, and we think this, that the Christians that were there in the church were doing lots of good things. Jesus acknowledged that. I know you're, you're known by your good deeds, but you're dead. Probably what was going on was their deeds were not based on this idea that if we serve God by serving others, we can have an opportunity to tell them about the salvation that is in Jesus. That's the point of our service. Not just to serve others, but to gain a hearing so they can listen to the gospel message. Is this the goal? To lead people to Christ and Savior. The goal of the church isn't to be a bunch of nice people. Nothing wrong with that. That's a byproduct, by the way, of Christian faith. But it is not the Christian faith. Christianity is following the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Christianity is accepting Jesus as Savior. It's recognizing your sin and asking the only God who exists to save you. You can do good deeds with that, that kind of stuff. And I think probably in the church that's what was happening. So good people in a good church had gotten away from it. On screen is this idea. Read this with me. Service that honors God is done out of your faith in Jesus so that you might honor Jesus and share with people the message of Jesus. See, it really is all about the gospel, isn't it? It's not about being nice. It's not about being united. It's not about being happy. Those, those aren't bad things, but that's not the point. The point of all we do as Christians is to demonstrate the gospel, to show that God has changed us through Jesus, to show that we do things and our motive is because we follow Jesus. And the reason and our ultimate goal is to help people come to know Jesus as Savior. Any other service is just good service. Nice people doing nice things. And again, there's nothing wrong with nice people doing nice things. But never confuse that for Christian service. Christian service has as its goal sharing the gospel. Has as its motive faith in Jesus. Has as its basic ideology. People need Jesus. And this is the way we can tell them. The church of Sardis was good people, but they had forgotten about Jesus. Interesting enough, Jesus doesn't condemn them, but he does say that there will be a time of judgment. When he says, you're not going to be ready, I'm going to come when I come, and no one will be ready. He's talking about judgment. Those are words of judgment. You see, those Christians, probably a lot of them weren't even Christian, because they had gotten away from that message of salvation in Jesus. They said all the right things. You know, there are many indications in the New Testament of people that thought they were God's people but were not. And I think this is probably just one more group of those kinds of people. Good people wanted to do the right thing, 
But their leadership had caved. And this is where leadership, pastor and teachers and staff and parents, need to hold on to the gospel message. If your church isn't doing that, if you're reading books by religious leaders or something like that, and they don't get around to mentioning the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, just be wise and remember what you're reading and recognize it. If it's not based on Jesus, if it doesn't lead you to a faith in Jesus, if it isn't focused on Jesus crucified, resurrected Son of God, then be careful. It's easy to be fooled. Interestingly, Jesus said that the church isn't a total loss. Look at verse 4, if you would. Still in chapter 3, verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So there were some good people. I imagine a few old hard-headed stalwarts. Been in the church a long time. The old guys that the young bucks ignored. Oh, there he goes again. There she goes again, talking about Jesus. You know... You know how us young people are, and I, I, young, right? You know how we are against old, old hard noses. And I think that's probably what's happening. There were a few left who remembered. They remembered what it was all about. And they had resisted the sin of unbelief. They had resisted the sin of rejection of the gospel. They will walk in white. What that means is they are pure from a spiritual perspective, spiritually alive filled with the Spirit. Jesus said, I will take care of them. On screen is a final idea. Jesus calls us to a heartfelt faith based on the truth of our salvation in Him. We must live and speak those truths so that others may hear of the life they could have through Christ. What this means is, grandparents and parents, when you talk to your kids about church and why do we go to church, it's okay to say we want to be nice people and God wants us to love others. That's true. But don't forget the gospel. Somewhere along the way, help them to understand they need Jesus. And they're not going to understand everything, but they can understand that they are separated from God by their sin. When I was a kid, I remember that distinctive feeling, and I don't remember what made it happen but I remember as a kid, 11 or 12 years old, and becoming aware of my separation from God. Now, at that point, I hadn't done anything worse other than sneaking off on my bicycle. But it was rebellion against my mom and daddy. And I was aware I was separated from God, and I could not shake that. And when one day we had a preacher say something about separation from God, that's when it clicked for me. Oh. I needed Jesus. Don't forget your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors need to hear that message. When you do that, then you are the people of God living and sharing a gospel that saves. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of imitation this morning. Let me challenge you. Consider the call of Jesus on your life. Jesus saves, just like the old preachers used to sing. Nothing about the gospel has ever changed. Remember that we are called to follow Jesus, crucified, resurrected Savior. And we are here to spread the message. Stand with me if you would. Come forward if there's a decision you need to make. Nate?
Before we close, let's just sing that last chorus one more time. Your chance. Bob Edder's going to come and lead us in a closing prayer. Where are you at, Bob? There he is. Remember that tonight we have deacons meeting at 5.30, business meeting at 6.30. Brave the weather. Chiefs are next week, so you've got nothing else to do. Let me come and invite you to that service. Bob, would you lead us? Okay, Father, we ask that as we go forth this week, that we would practice what you preach to others. Tolerance, love, patience. Learn from you. Practice them in our everyday life and show other people that we are your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. Amen.